In today's show, we're looking at players and their production before the trade deadline and after the trade deadline. What can we take out of it? What does it mean for next season? Michael Bolton? Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble, on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. So today we're doing a, a show. Of course we are. That's what we're doing. What I normally do is look at pre- uh, Pre-All-Star break versus post-All-Star break. Because there's an idea that oh, that's the halfway point of the season. It's not. And this year, it was even further into the year. It was like 70% through the season when the All-Star break happened. So I thought we'd find a different uh, delineator and use the trade deadline, which I think is a little bit more accurate anyway. I don't know why I hadn't been doing pre- and post-trade deadline reviews before. Because that's when the players change teams. And that's when you can get more of an idea of how those moves impacted things. And you've, of course, got the tanking situation with teams shutting guys down with uh, yeah, injuries that, say, may not be 100% accurate. Fake, 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 fake. So instead of pre and post All-Star, we're doing pre and post trade deadline. I'm using minus one ranks to get an idea of the value in the most popular format of fantasy basketball head-to-head categories. But as a general rule, the ranking numbers I put up, that they are minus one ranks, but the ranking numbers, or it's just the general vibe. Did a player get better or worse? That's what we're looking at. So it applies to Roto, applies to 8-cat, 9-cat, it applies to points leagues, whatever. It's all the same general sort of vibe that we're going to look at. Now, what's important, we'll go through a lot of these examples and talk about the things that are involved in why these happened. It might not have any impact as we move forward at all. It might not mean anything for this coming season. But it is interesting to look at because often we can have our brain wired to remember the things that happened recently. What happened in your fantasy playoffs? What happened at the end of the season? Does that, do we just look at that and go, well, that's just what's going to translate moving forward? And again, looking at the guys that had those big jumps or big slides and figuring out why it happened is more important than just the pure numbers. I hope that is helpful. Warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to look at players that took big jumps forward. I only looked at players who ended or whose uh, per-game ranking after the trade deadline was in the top 175, which gives us a general idea of guys who had some value in standard formats, in 12-team formats. Um, I eliminated guys from this list who played like you know, four or five games, seven games. Wanted to get guys who get a decent sample. Now, that tra- post-trade deadline period is about Usually the players are playing about 20 to 25 or 28 games. That's about the amount of games that they're playing in that period. So again, it's not half, but it's a a little bit over like a third of the season. You can see there on the screen, if you are watching on YouTube, a bunch of the names. The first two names on that list are Portland Trailblazers. One of them was traded, Matisse Theibel. He went from 306th in Philadelphia to 170 or 125th in uh, Portland. Cool. The Portland situation, you'll see a lot of names appear. 
because they just started shutting everybody down. Yusuf Nurkic, Damian Lillard, Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons, all those guys started not playing towards the end. And Sharp and Thibel got elevated into larger roles. Now, Thibel's is mainly because Josh Hart was traded and he was a starter. He could start again next season. I think they'll go with Sharp, but the Portland um, roster remains absolutely in flux with the Lillard situation. But Thibel isn't just a complete um, artifact of a tank situation. He was moved into a larger role, and Sharp, we might as well talk about these guys in total, 340 versus 159. I think Sharp's going to be a really popular fantasy draft pick this season, but even in that post-trade deadline period, he was 159th, and so much was geared towards him during that period. That's a little bit troubling. He was able to improve his assist rate, which was absolutely invisible before, and I think he's going to be a good player, but he is a pretty large risk, I think, of being overdrafted when we see what actually plays out with this team. The salt flick, Phil Maladon. Maladon went from 262nd to 86th post-trade deadline. Really easy to see why. The Charlotte Hornets just stopped playing everybody. Lamelo Ball was out, Tour Rogier got shut down, Haywood was out, and Maladon played well, but he's currently not on the roster, so we don't need to talk about it. Taylor Horton Tucker went from 300th to 134th, Again, the Jazz just shut a lot of guys down, and he started. I don't think he's going to start this season. I imagine that Colin Sexton will start. And if it's not him, it'll probably be Keontae George. So Horton Tucker would be, at very, very best, a late-round flyer. And again, we remember Horton Tucker having some value, but the entire post-trade deadline period, which was basically exactly two months, trade deadline was February 9th, and the end of the regular season was April 9th. So it's two months. He was still only 134th. And again, if we just narrow it down to when they shut down a bunch of their guys, like Markkinen was out and Kessler ended up being out, but Sexton was out and Clarkson was missing time, then his numbers rise. But he's not dominating. We don't worry about it too much. Xavier T. Illman went from 286th to 121st. Is that a trade deadline thing? Is that a rapid improvement in his game? No. It's because Brandon Clark and Steven Adams are out. Clark won't be back because he's torn his Achilles. But Adams will be. And maybe Tillman isn't even a big rotation piece because they might be looking to play more Jaron Jackson at the five and give more minutes to Santiel Dama. Who knows? But we don't need to look at that with Tillman. The Kaminga one, we go, okay, ooh, second-year player. Johnny Kaminga, did he take a big step forward? He went from 295th to 173rd. That's a big improvement. But remember, Andy Wiggins didn't play towards the end of the season. And now this Warriors team brings in Chris Paul and someone like a Dario Saric who can also play some of those small ball center lineups. And we don't expect Wiggins is going to miss 40 games or 50 games. So again, we can look at that. And if you didn't have the context behind it, context is always important. You just go, well, look, Kaminga improved. They gave him more minutes. He's a second year player. He's figuring it out. No, that was just because Wiggins was out. And he got extra playing time. I'm not saying that Kaminga can't turn into a better player, but his likelihood of unseating Draymond or Wiggins out of the starting lineup is infinitesimally small. So I don't think this means anything. This one does, though. The big fella in San Antonio, Zach Collins, he was 169th before the trade deadline. Jakob Pertl got shipped off to Toronto, and Collins was 57th after that. And I believe, fairly confidently, that Zach Collins is going to be the starter in San Antonio. Victor Wembanyama is going to play next to Zach Collins. Now, I'm not suggesting that Zach Collins will be the 60th or 57th best player but I am fairly confident that Zach Collins is going to start. He's going to play 25-plus minutes. It might not be 32, 
because they will play some Wimby at center and there'll be some Sohan and Don Barlow minutes and all that sort of stuff in there. And we've got to get minutes for Keldon Johnson, who I believe will come off the bench. But Collins, that's big. People are just forgetting about him because of the addition of Wimbenyama. But I think that Collins and Wimby are going to start together. And Collins is, out of everyone on this list, outside of Sharp, Collins is the only other one of those guys there that I would consider drafting. And he's definitely the guy that I'd probably consider drafting the highest in a standard draft for the 2023-2024 NBA season. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 that you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. You can even bet your futures like World Series futures before the MLB trade deadline, which is coming up in a couple of days or so. Who's going to blow it up? We've already seen the Mets make a trade, so... Who's going to take advantage of these other teams starting to sell off assets? It's all on an app that is safe. It's secure. It's super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 back in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. And don't forget to gamble responsibly. Okay. Some other players who took some steps forward. There are some very important names, I think, on this part of the list. We'll start with the Duck, Luke Kennard, who was 265th in his time with the Clippers, and he moved to the Grizzlies, and he was 158th. Now, is 158th particularly strong? No, but it is a big improvement. Kennard also, talked about this yesterday, was has been part of two of the worst trades, underrated worst trades, in the last three, four years. The Pistons gave up four second-round picks for the privilege of dumping him onto the Clippers. So they said, we actually don't want this guy who's a really good shooter who would actually fit really well against our, uh, around our other players. So they gave up four second rounders to dump him to the Clippers. And then the Clippers traded him in a deal that netted them Aaron Gordon that cost them their first round pick as well. And then they just ended up cutting Aaron Gordon after 20 games. Oh, not Aaron Gordon, sorry, Eric Gordon, my bad. So he was dumped along with a first-round pick from the Clippers for 20 games of Eric Gordon, who they cut. So he's been traded in two salary or two dumps, basically, where an asset was attached to him, and he might be the best player of all those guys. Anyway, with Jar Morant suspended to begin the season, I think they're going to start David Roddy. I also think that's a mistake, but I think they're going to start David Roddy. But Kanadi's going to have a larger role. He's also been an unbelievable shooter. Like 45% over the last three years. I think he shot 49 last season. He might have some value early on. Kader Bates Diop went from 277th to 170th. And as we get closer to the end of the regular season, you'll see his ranks rise. Now, of course, he's in Phoenix. And he's probably not going to start for this team, but I wouldn't be surprised if he is the best fit ahead of Josh Okoge. I don't think he's draftable, but he did show a little bit there. The one that we do really want to pay attention to here is the Bronco, Jalen Williams. Broncos country. Let's ride. Because Jalen Williams was, it was, it was all right, 132nd before the trade deadline, 29th after that. How was he able to do it? And is it sustainable? So how was he able to do it? Averaging 1.7 steals. By far his best category. The next highest category was his free throws at 89%, which was a, a Z score of 0.85. His steals were 1.87. So it's a huge, huge difference. So that's it, really. He averaged 18, 5, and 4. He played 33 minutes. 
He'll probably play 33 minutes again. Yes, Chet Holmgren is there, but I don't think Chet's going to take big usage away from the Bronco, who had only 20% usage. Really, the difference here in Williams is 55% shooting from the field, 89 from the line, and getting 1.7 steals, and that rocketed him into a top 30 player. I don't think anybody is going to be stupid enough to draft him in the top 30 or in the third round. But he has, there is a risk of him being drafted in the top 50 or top 60. And if that shooting of 55% comes down, if the 1.7 steals goes to a still really good 1.3, then that value is not there. But he was awesome down the stretch, and we remember that. We do the same with Emmanuel Quickly, who was 163rd before the trade deadline, and then he was 73rd after the trade deadline. So what changed for him? It was interesting because Josh Hart joined the team. We had lower minutes for RJ Barrett, but also he just played better. Quickly was able to put up some value here because he averaged 31 minutes a night as a reserve. And that's really the key there. Now they added an extra player into the backcourt in the offseason, Dante DiVincenzo. They've still got Brunson. They've still got Grimes. They've still got Hart. They've still got Barrett. And now they added DiVincenzo. So can quickly get 31 minutes off the bench again. Can he average 20 points per game on 48% shooting? I think there's some doubts with that. I think he's a draftable guy, but that big discrepancy there is probably a little bit misleading. It's not that he just necessarily figured it all out. He's got a ton of minutes, and I'm not sure he's going to get that amount of playing time. Drakaris Levert. Drakaris. 205th pre-All-Star. Oh, sorry, oh, I made that mistake. 205th pre-trade deadline, 115th after it. So what happened? What was Levert able to do? Well, for probably the first time in his career, he shot well. 50% from the field. So that's it. That's what happened. Because everything else is about the same. He shot 74 from the line. He averaged 1.3 steals. He averaged 11 points. But he was able to jump up because he hit his shots. Do you trust Karis Levert to do that? I don't. I don't think he's going to start either. I'm not sure he's a draftable guy. In fact, I'm pretty sure he's not. Kobe White went from 252 to 164. I put out bull starting lineup videos a couple of days ago. A lot of people replied, man, Kobe White's going to be the starter. And my response would be, okay, so why didn't he ever start at all last season? Why did they try guys like Dasumu or Caruso ahead of him? And now they brought in Javon Carter. And while I, I do like Kobe White as a player, the I don't, even, I don't even know what it is. I don't know why everyone's going, oh, Kobe White's the starter. Cool. He just didn't start at all last season. And everyone who started ahead of him was brought back Plus, Javon Carter is in the mix now as well. White did improve. I like White as a player. I hate his fit with Levine and DeRozan. He's not going to be drafted, but we do want to watch that situation. What about Walker Kessler? This is another big one. He went from 113th pre-trade deadline to 27th post-trade deadline. Was it because they traded away guys like Mike Conley? Did that impact him? Not really. Jared Vanderbilt was traded away, but Kessler had already taken over from Vanderbilt before the trade deadline. He played 29 minutes post-All-Star. The reason, post-trade deadline, the reason he was able to get to this level was he averaged 11 rebounds, three blocks, and 74% from the field. And there is absolutely no reason that he can't average 11 rebounds, three blocks, and 74% from the field again. In saying that, I did this show last week about statistical outliers. Three blocks and 74% from the field are numbers that we should never project. We should look at that as maybe 2.5 blocks or 68% from the field. Still really good. If you get sucked into Walker Kessler in round two because of the way that mathematical formulas on a non-normally distributed stat like blocks boost his value, I think you're going to be in for a relatively bad time. 
because you'll look at rankings and you look at this number and you go, well, look at that. He, that's 20, top 30 player. And that's not, if you're just basing things off pure ranking numbers, it's not a good strategy to win fantasy basketball in my mind. Now, Kessler's still going to be really good and he's going to help you, but it's going to help in three categories. And those two things that are absolutely top tier elite, if they come down a little bit, then you're in somewhat of a trouble. Plus, you've put yourself into a punt points, punt assists, punt steals, punt threes sort of a player with your second or third pick. And finding those guys back after that can get tough. Just be really careful about drafting a Walker Kessler because his ranking might come out as 30th at the end of the season. But was that actually what contributed to winning enough in fantasy? And I don't know that's going to be true. Austin Reeves went from 195th to 110th. If we go further into the playoffs, you'll see Reeves' numbers jump significantly. I think he's going to be a top 100 player this season. I think that his foul drawing or his free throw attempt rate, and we saw that in the playoffs, that it did drop. I think it's going to come down again. I think some of the shooting numbers from two-point range especially are going to drop. So while Reeves was really good in the second half of the season, I think that some of the numbers that he put up there, and even some in the playoffs, maybe aren't representative of what we get from him full season. But the breakout for him is real. I think he's legit. I think he's a legit starter and a legit fantasy basketball target. Big Dick Nick went from 217th to 136th. Just a regular role with no Mason Plumley there. And then also Mark Williams had that thumb surgery, which moved Richard's minutes up. He's not a draftable player in my mind. But Tyrese Maxey, that's an interesting one. Now, he started off the season struggling. He came off the bench. His shot wasn't there. He got injured. But then the last 26 games of the season, 21 points in 35 minutes, and the shooting was back. 53 from the field and 93 from the line. Really, really hard to rely upon that. Like really hard to rely upon that as the numbers that you expect moving forward because he did struggle early in the season. But if Harden is gone, like expecting a top 50 finish from Maxi is absolutely totally fine. A lot of it does rest on shooting percentages because he's never going to be a huge steals guy or a gigantic assist player, although they could improve. But he was able to get back on track. Gordon Haywood really struggled early in the season, 189th, 117th after the trade deadline. Now, of course, the problem is that Miles Bridges and Brandon Miller are on this team. Yes, there's no PJ Washington or Kelly Oubre at this stage. Who knows where they're going to go? But Haywood, I would think, has a chance to start early in the season while Bridges is suspended. And maybe they just don't start Bridges at all. Because like, well, he's not coming back. We only gave him the qualifying offer. He's maybe out of shape. Maybe he's lost form. Maybe Haywood continues to start. I don't think that he's a draftable guy necessarily, Gordo, maybe with a last pick. But that was good to see him get somewhat back on track. Timmy Hardaway went from 202 to 133rd. He started to play more minutes towards the end of the season after they acquired Kyrie Irving because they lost Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie. At the moment, there is still an open position starting. I think it could be him or Josh Green. I would definitely start Green. Hardaway is not a high upside player. Jaden Ivey went from 180th to 118th. And that was when he was getting the run of the show. Bogdanovich didn't play after the trade deadline. Isaiah Stewart missed most of that time as well. Of course, Cade Cunningham was out, and now Cunningham's back. Bogdanovich is back. Stewart is back. Asar Thompson is there. Ivy's got the benefit of being a second-year player who should see some improvements. But while he was given the absolute run of things, he didn't really impress hugely. Although, we see point guards suck so much as rookies and then take big steps forward in year two. But a lot of the stuff for him, like usage and assist rate, I think he's going to come down in year two because he's going to share the court a lot more with Kate and then also with Asar Thompson. Then we've got Mark Williams. If I can find the soundbite. 
Oh, hi, Mark. 172nd versus 119th. Yes, he was sharing time with the cockroach before the trade deadline. Plumley got traded, and you would have thought that he would have been a little bit better than 119th. But he had his thumb injury, and then towards the end of the season, the, the Hornets started doing that stupid thing where they were rotating guys, and you, know, you start one game or two games, then take one off. He ended up playing only 27 minutes and averaged 12 and 10 with one block on 63%. I look at all that and go, 12 and 10 is probably fine for Williams. It's probably what he does as we move forward. But the 1.1 blocks, if that becomes 1.7 blocks... Then he jumps into the top 80, top 70 really quickly. So he's got some value there. Some other names to run through here. Dan Gafford went from 116 to, uh, 167 to 116. I think he's going to be a very, very valuable player this season with literally no other center on the team apart from Mike Muscala. He, the foul trouble will, will be an issue, but he's a top 100 guy. KJ Martin, after the Eric Gordon trade, went 211th to 161st. Now he joins the Clippers, and he's probably not even going to get to 161. Derek White went from 129 pre Trade deadline to 80 post. That's not really anything to do with trades. And now, of course, with Marcus Smart gone, White, who started nearly... People say, well, now White's a starter. He started all of last season. Or he started 70 games last season. The difference is, is he's going to start as a point guard and not next to Marcus Smart. That doesn't mean that he's going to start racking up eight assists per game. And he's at a massive risk of being, being overdrafted, Derek White. But we saw some improvement towards the end of the year. Pat Beverly went from 200 to 152nd. He's in Philadelphia. He might have an okay role if Harden's gone, but I doubt it. Al Horford, interestingly, went from 121 to 75. Now, I worry about Horford's minutes with Porzingis there. I worry about some shooting regression. He's definitely not a target of mine. Chrissy Middleton, I know that these aren't reflective of what he's going to do this season, but we saw so many struggles from him, which is good to see him go from 160 to 113, showing that there was improvement despite limited minutes. And Josh Hart went from 116 as a member of the Blazers to 71 as a member of the Knicks. And he played just 30 minutes. He averaged 10.7 rebounds, 1.4 steals. But the reason he was able to get this high was the steals, but also 59% shooting. Does he play 30 minutes again? I think he might because he's good and they need a backup power forward as well. But that was... A little bit interesting to me there because his role did shrink in New York, but his production improved. Kelly Olenek went from 111th to 69th. He's going to drop off quite a bit. Hartenstein really struggled early in the season. He was 208th. He went to 165. It's good to see some of his form returning. Trey Murphy, 100th, and then post-deadline, 59th. He was awesome, but no Zion. How do they get him enough touches and minutes if Zion plays? That's the big question. They should be playing him over Herb Jones, but will they? I worry a little bit where, where he goes. Cam Johnson, 125 versus 85. Big boost in minutes in Brooklyn. Actually a bigger improvement than what Mikael Bridges was. Because Bridges was still good in Phoenix. He obviously stepped it up in Brooklyn, but not to the degree of a lot of these other players. Kyle Anderson went from 107 to 70. Okay, I don't think we need to read too much into that. Killian Hayes, 137 to 103. Hayes was pretty solid down the stretch, but he's literally at risk of not playing at all for this team. Um, Brandon Ingram went from 60th to 28th. I don't think there's anything we need to read too much into that. Most of Ingram's play was without Zion anyway during the season. Part of how he was able to jump up is he shot 50% from the field and he averaged almost seven assists per game during that time frame. So just a nice little run from him. In terms of guys that we are, we should be a little bit concerned about, for their second half slides, guys that took the biggest drops in production. Some of it is trade-related. Some of it is other factory-related. We'll start by looking at the man who requested a trade because he wasn't happy with his opportunities. 
Tom Bryant was 140th with the Lakers and he was 410th with the Nuggets because he arrived in Denver. He played and they went, oh no, oh, oh no, no, we're sorry, you're not going to play. And he didn't. And now he's in Miami and theoretically he's the backup center, but I think Orlando Robinson is going to be better than him. And yeah, you could say that there'll be, there'll be definitely people out there, there'll be one person watching this or listening who'll be like, oh, he should, he can probably just play next to Bam. Play Bam at the four, uh, Brian at the five, you go four out, five out, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, he's bad. He's bad. But there will be someone watching this who believes that that will happen. I know. And maybe I will be proven wrong with that. But Bryant sucked. Lonnie Walker was 175th before the trade deadline. Yes, he did have a knee injury, but he played 20 games after the All-Star break and was 409th. He struggled because a lot of what he was doing early in the season was unsustainable. And then they got significantly better players in. Now he signs another minimum in Brooklyn. Is he going to play ahead of Cam Thomas? I don't know. Uh, there are talks now that Ben Simmons might actually be a starter for Brooklyn this season, which means that Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith, Cam Thomas, Lonnie Walker, Dennis Smith, Dayron Sharp, they're all coming off the bench. Walker is definitely not a draftable player. Campaign was 154th before the deadline, 328th after it. He dealt with a lot of injuries, but did play 20 games post-deadline. He's in San Antonio now. He's an interesting deeper league guy as the backup to Trey Jones. I don't think he will start, but... There's a chance. There's a chance for some role. Just watch that. All mate, Bol Bol. 120th pre-deadline, 285th post-deadline. And by the end of the season, he was out of the rotation. Of course, he goes to Phoenix and hype social media accounts will lead you to believe that he is part of a big four or big five and that he is going to start. And let me be very clear about this. Bol Bol is currently not a good NBA player. And if the Suns are relying upon him to be their fifth member of their closing group, they will be bad. Bowl can put up fantasy numbers. We saw that when the Magic were missing seven rotation players. But when a team gets serious, he doesn't play. He's going to need to pull his head in and improve a lot of things. But this is basically just, well, the Magic got players back and he sucked. Anthony Simons, this was interesting. Now, he didn't play a huge man. He played like 10 games post All-Star, but he was 59th pre-trade deadline, pre-trade deadline, 217th post-trade deadline. I just put this in just for interest's sake. Like It's not to say, wow, we've got to fade Simons. He really struggled after Josh Hart was dealt. The reason he was down that low is he played only 30 minutes, but he shot under 40% from the field. He averaged under four assists, and he averaged two rebounds. Now, if Damian Lillard is gone, Simons and Scoot, they're going to see big, big roles. And Simons is he's a little bit of a risk of overdrafting because his best performances have always been when Lillard is gone or out and he is the point guard. But the thing is, this season, if Lillard is gone, he won't be the point guard. He'll still be playing off ball next to Scoot. So he'll be in a situation where he's scoring and I don't really know what else. So while that's a big drop from Simons, we shouldn't be massively concerned, but we also shouldn't overrate him in case of a Lillard trade. Jalen McDaniels went from 134th in Charlotte to 291st in Philadelphia. Just didn't really play much there. He goes to Toronto now to be one of the seven or eight six foot nine power forwards on this team. He'll play behind Siakam and Ananobi and Barnes, and then he'll battle Achua and Boucher and whoever else is on that bench for minutes. So yeah, he's not a factor. Larry Nance was 131st pre-trade deadline, 261st post. Larry Nance has real value when Zion Williamson plays. He really struggled in the second half of the season, coming back from his own knee injury, and that's always going to be a problem for Nance as well. Um, 
when if Zion is okay and Nance will still come off the bench, I don't mind looking at him as a 12-team league player because he plays so well in that role. But otherwise, the upside is relatively low. Malik Beasley was 156th. He went to the Lakers. He was 260th. Now he's with the Bucks. I guess there's an outside shot that he unseats Grayson Allen as a starter and he's able to knock in three threes and 11 points per game and do literally nothing else, much like Grayson Allen. So while that was a big slide because of a role change or a team change, I don't think we need to um, be factoring him too much into our calculations for this season. Interestingly, that flaming Mo Wagner had a big drop-off. Wagner was the solidified backup center in Orlando post-trade deadline. Um, 17 minutes, 9 and 4, but didn't get any defensive stats, only one assist, and a lot of the stuff... Pre-trade deadline, he was starting because Wendell Carter was out as well. He's back as their backup center, uh, battling with Goga Badadze. We're not drafting him, of course. Johnny Collins, 94th pre-trade deadline, 182nd post. I guess that part of that is what influences our ideas of John Collins' last season. It was it was bad. He only played 28 minutes after Quinn Snyder was there and, and Sadiq Bey was acquired. Average 13 and 5. Didn't it's not like he you now he's had some bad shootings stretches, but he shot 50 and 82 still, but no defensive stats, no rebounds, low scoring, low minutes. He moves to Utah now. I expect that he will start next to Markin and Kessler and should be able to see a boost in his productions, but I just worry about whether that shooting comes back or whether any of the level of play we saw three, four years ago is still there for Collins. He's draftable, but that was definitely troubling. The crucifix, Christian Wood, 58th pre-trade deadline, 144th post-trade deadline. I'm seeing some people do really, really early mock drafts. Shout out to all of my colleagues doing them. I, I think you're crazy. I don't know why we're doing them now. But anyway, you're doing them now. Um, and Christian Wood's getting drafted in those mock drafts. Cool. He plays for who exactly? Nobody. Nobody's signing him. Who is signing him that's giving him a role large enough that's going to be relevant for fantasy? I don't get it. Dallas, another people go, well, Jason Kidd's a bad coach. And you know what? Welcome. Join in. Yep, absolutely. You're 100% correct. But Christian Wood's also not a very good player. And on a team that has any sort of hopes of being successful, Wood's not going to be able to play that role. He's just not. So he dropped off significantly, and I think that's fair enough. Alex Crusoe went from 101st to 186th. I don't think Crusoe's a draftable player because, again, we're in that similar problem with I talked about with Kobe White. There's Kobe White, there's Dasumu, there's Javon Carter. Crusoe's injury prone as well with those knee issues. He's not worth it. The Cockroach was 93rd. Mason Plumley went to the Clippers. He was 175th. He'll be the backup, I would guess, behind Evitz Zubats again. Play those 21, 22 minutes instead of the 33 that Steve Clifford was insanely pumping into him. And he's going to be a guy that you stream in or look at when Zubats is hurt, but not a draftable guy. Well, Gaz Trent went 72nd pre-trade deadline, 153rd post. And you know why I was 153rd post-trade deadline? Because Jakob Pertl arrived and pushed him to the bench. Now, you would say that Fred Van Vliet... Well, not you would say, because you'd be... Of course, you're correct. Fred Van Vliet is gone. So Gary Trent could start again, but I don't think so. I think Dennis Schroeder is going to be the starting point guard because, once again, this team, the Toronto Raptors, had the worst offseason in the NBA. And they brought in... You know, they still refused to bring in lots of guys who can dribble or shoot. Didn't do that. And the point guard they brought in to replace Fred Van Vliet... He's Dennis Schroeder, who can't shoot. So I don't look, Trent's going to have a role, but is he going to play 36 minutes a night like he was in his peak seasons a couple of years ago under Dick Nurse? Almost definitely not. 
Is he going to be battling Grady Dick for some minutes? Maybe. Look, Trent's going to have clearly the advantage there. But unless there's injuries or trades, Trent's not starting. It's Schroeder, it's Barnes, it's Siakam, it's Ananobi, and it's Pirtle, I would guess. I don't know who those guys are. they going to bring Schroeder off the bench and start Barnes at point guard? Jesus, they're really tanking for the number one pick. Some other guys who dropped off. D'Anthony Melton was 69th. Giggity. Before the deadline, 149th post. Very interesting. I know we can look at a lot of Melton's season numbers and they get inflated in things that include turnovers and all that sort of stuff. We have some hope. I love Melton. I think you know that. That's disappointing, those numbers. Now, a Harden trade can complicate a lot of stuff, but he was able to put up good numbers early in the season when Harden and Maxi were out. And then they were both back at the end of the season and he struggled. So I'm reserving judgment on where we are with him this season. Bob Portis was 103rd pre-trade deadline, 179th post. On a healthy team, where Lopez, Giannis, and Middleton are all playing, Bob Portis, I don't think is a standard league guy. And I think that 179 is a little bit more reflective. He's a big man who needs minutes, usage, because he's a points and rebounds guy who's turned into an excellent three-point shooter, but never gets assists, steals, or blocks. And he's an offense-only big man who's probably going to be limited to 22 minutes a night. Dorian Finney-Smith was traded to the Nets. He went from 159th as a starter to 235, 235th in Brooklyn. Even though he did start, he was really marginalized there. Uh, I, I, I don't think he's even going to start now. Honestly, I, I thought he might, but now I'm hearing that Ben Simmons is going to start over him. Aaron Gordon. Now, this is interesting. Aaron Gordon had a really good season. 77th pre-trade deadline. And then 143rd post. And remember, he was a bad free-throw shooter, but this takes that out of that. So why was he so bad? Well, 15, 6, and 3. The Nuggets took their foot off the gas, so his minutes dropped to only 30. He had no defensive stats and shot 52 from the field when he was going at about 58 earlier in the year. That's why. He's still going to be a draftable player, but his upside is relatively limited, and it's going to rely upon that really high efficiency to get him there. Johnny Conchar went from 173 to 236. I don't think we're going to get an improvement from him this season. Joshie Richardson went from the Spurs to the Pelicans, 147 versus 206. Now, he's in Miami, and they lost both Max Struess and Gabe Vincent. So there is a chance for him to get closer to that 147 role. Well, D'Angelo Russell went from Minnesota to the Lakers, and he was 45th in Minnesota, 102nd for the Lakers. He really dropped off. Now, there was some weird, weird drop-offs with his free-throw shooting with the Lakers. I don't know why. But also now we've got Gabe Vincent. We've got the emergence of Austin Reeves. There's no way I'd consider D'Angelo Russell top 50. Probably not top 70. And I think in this situation on this team, there's a risk that he does start games still, but gets benched or plays 30 minutes to the 33 and sees his usage decline. Some other names just to watch for some post-trade deadline slides. CJ McCollum went from 49th to 106th. He's getting older, obviously, and there's going to be a decline. And if Zion does play, huge if, how much he plays. McCollum's going to be a guy that suffers quite a bit. DeJounte Murray was 33rd. And then under Quinn Snyder, 89th. Yes, they did just sign him to an extension. I don't know where he's going to get drafted in drafts this season, but why was he... He played 36 minutes a night under Snyder, so why was he so far down in the rankings? Well, he ever hit 1-3 a game. He only got 1.3 steals, and that's so much of what his value is based on, is getting steals, and he didn't do it. I think he's another overdraft risk. Kyle Lowry had some moments in the early in the season, but really struggled as the year went on, 95th versus 151st. At this point, I don't know where he's going to play, so I don't know how to judge him. 
Royce O'Neill, after the Kyrie trade, went from 119th to 174th as they brought in all of those wings, and he got marginalized, and he'll be marginalized again this season, I guess. Well, the thick hogsman, Tobias Harris. Um, I think I am a TH. T to the H. Yeah, TH for life. Harris was someone that I faded hard at the beginning of the season. And to start the season, I looked really stupid because he came out and he put up career-high steal numbers and he shot the absolute lights out. And Harden and Maxi were out. And that meant that it was 82nd pre-trade deadline. But when the team was fully formed, the exact thing that I thought would happen, happened. He was 135th. The steal rate declined. He lost usage. Now, if Harden does go... Harris's usage will probably jump back up and he'll get a little bit more value, but just be aware that that 135 for Harris is absolutely in play if they retain a similar structure starting lineup and replace Harden with another high usage guy. Unlikely. Or if Harden stays. Scotland Barnes. He was a guy that a lot of people were drafting in round three. I think I had him in the 50s maybe. I definitely wasn't as high on him as others. I think you're well aware of that. But he was 74th pre-trade deadline and then uh, 124th after that. This is with the arrival of Yucca Pertle. He still played 34 minutes a night. How did he drop so far? Well, it's just mid-numbers. 15, 5, and 5. They're okay. But a half a three a game, 1.2 steals, 45% shooting. Yeah, he might play a little bit more point guard this season, but I don't think Scotty Barnes is equipped to be a full-time point guard. His shooting is bad, and I don't think his passing is dynamic enough. Can he be closer to the 74 that he was or even beat that? Sure. But with the more cramped lineup, I guess, with Pirtle starting, he really struggled. And yes, Van Vliet's absence will help. But again, Schroeder is going to replace those minutes, I think. Grayson Allen went from 152 to 202. That's the last time I mentioned Grayson Allen. Buddy Heald was 56th, went to 104th after the deadline because they started to reduce his minutes to tank. That's it. Now, I don't know where he fits on this team because they're going to start Halliburton. And then you're going to have Matherin. You're going to have Nempard. You're going to have Bruce Brown, who I keep forgetting as well, um, in a mix for those starting spots. So do they go Nempard and Heald? Where's Matherin and Brown fit? Heald's numbers are going to be closer to 104 than 56. Sadiq Bay was traded from the Pistons, where he was 138th, to the Hawks, who was 184th. And while I'm not a big Sadiq Bay fan, the absence of John Collins gives him a chance to move back to that 138 mode. Now, people will say, well, he's going to be a great target now because he's going to start again. Remember, 138th in Detroit, where he was the starter for nearly the whole time. I think he probably can be better than that. I'm not a big Sadiq guy, as again, you're well aware. But he's going to be better than that 184. The pencil, Harrison Barnes. Barnesy. 142nd pre-trade deadline. 187th after it. Cool. He's not a draftable player. He wasn't last season. He probably takes another step back this season in terms of minutes and usage. Keegan takes a step up. Uh, Vezenkov is there as well to take some of those minutes away or take some of the shot attempts away. And we're not drafting Barnes. As simple as that. The wiki Chris Boucher went from 166 to 210. Pirtle's arrival hurt him. Oh man, Nick Nurse, such a bad coach. Just doesn't play Boucher. It's because Boucher is not that good. And he's just not going to get that role. So forget that. Then he upped you. 158th versus 201st post-trade deadline. And I am a little surprised because Bradley Beal, of course, had an injury towards the end of the season. I thought we'd get more out of Denny. He played 27 minutes a night post-trade deadline. Nine and seven with three and a half assists and only 0.8 steals with subpar field goals and free throws and three-pointers. I don't know whether he starts. Poole, Jones, Kuzma, Gafford are probably going to be the starters. And then you've got an opportunity for Kispert or Avdia to be the other starter. 
Avdia can be a guy to look at in a draft, but when his success was there, it was when a lot of the usage guys were out. And while Porzingis and Beal are gone, Paul's a pretty big usage guy, and Kuzma's going to take on more usage. So I don't know that Denny's got a clear path to being a stud, and that drop-off is concerning. Tyler Hero was 50th pre-trade deadline. Everyone has a hero. True. Zero people shouldn't have a hero. Yes. 92nd post-trade deadline. We know he missed most of the playoffs. So what happened to him post-trade deadline? Well, he shot 45 only from the field, and he averaged half a steal a game and under four assists and under 20 points. I don't know that he's going to stay in Miami. But he started off absolutely red hot. He was rebounding the hell out of the ball, dropped down to under five. I think that a more realistic hero situation in Miami is the 90 versus 50. On another team, who knows? But it's not that he was really starved of usage. He had 25 usage. Now, if he was in Jordan Poole's position in Washington, he'd probably get 32 usage and put up 26 points with six assists. And there'd be really good numbers. Would it lead to winning? Probably not. But he put up really good numbers. So his situation's one to watch. And then another guy who you'll see ranked really highly. When you go in, Yahoo opens, you'll see his last year ranking. And you go, man, Vooch was 11th? It's Vucevic. It's big Vucevic. Vucevic. Because the man who really couldn't stay healthy early in his career played every game and didn't turn the ball over. So their nine cat totals rankings will make him look a lot better than he was. But minus one, pre-trade deadline, 34th. Pretty solid. Post-trade deadline, 74th. Of course, Vooch is getting older. He averaged 17 and 10 in that time period, but 0.4 blocks, 0.8 steals, only one three. Just nothing particularly exciting. I'm not saying that he's the 80th or 74th ranked player, but I'm definitely not viewing his you know, 12th or 11th ranked finish last season as anything that we need to pay attention to as we move forward. There's no guarantee he plays 82 games. He still remains the third usage option on this team. His block numbers have decreased. And if he loses some of the shooting numbers, then especially his field goals, which jumped way up last season as well, then you're in real trouble. And some other names that you know, didn't drop huge amounts, but all of them dropped at least 30 spots that are just worth mentioning quickly. Josh Giddy was really strong, but 112th post-trade deadline. Does that somewhat coincide with Jalen Williams' rise? Yes, but as we talked about, Williams' rise was due to steals which is not really impacting Giddy's game. Just a little bit, Giddy had a strong season, but that is a drop-off. He played under 32 minutes a night, but he shot 68 from the line. But again, we're taking that away. But he didn't generate defensive stats. He averaged 17, 8, and 7. Giddy's still really young, still drafting him, but that's a little bit of a drop. Jar Morant was 40th and then 78th post-trade deadline. Now, post-trade deadline, we had the suspension, and then we also had him coming back and playing those couple of games off the bench. So that impacts it. But... You know, John Morant's not really a strong category player at all. Um, and he's going to be suspended 25 games. So there's no way that I'm drafting John Morant in the first four rounds or five rounds or probably six rounds. Because it's not like, well, when he comes back, I've got a top 20 guy. Points league's different story. He's a top 20 guy. I would consider him around that 50 mark. But in a category league, no way. Absolutely no way. Paulo Banquero, 115th pre-trade deadline, 150th post. That was just a real slide in his shooting. He is going to improve his shooting. Oh, got no doubt about that. I hope the defensive stats can improve. 0.5 steals and 0.7 blocks. He shot 44 and 70. Get that to 47 and 77. Get to 0.7 steals and a block. And then you're talking a top 50 guy. I don't know where I'm going to draft Paulo Banquero at this point, but I'm also not that worried about that slide there. Carl Anthony Towns is 29th pre-trade deadline. 
63rd after it. Now, of course, Towns missed a bunch of games, and he only played eight games post-trade deadline. But he did have some struggles there, mainly because he generated no defensive stats and something we anticipated he had really low rebound numbers, only eight per game. Towns is definitely out of the discussion as a first-round player to me. I had him as a second-round guy last season. I think I'll have him as a second-round guy again. That 29 and 63 aren't too much of a worry. Andrew Nempard had a really strong run early in the season, but he was 170th pre-trade deadline. But then post-trade deadline, Halliburton was out, and he was still only 204th. He really struggled. TJ McConnell was doing a lot more work. And while Carlisle does love Nempard, the Nempard, Heald, Brown, Matherin quartet are probably all going to eat each other's asses and not be able to um, put up the numbers that require that you would require for them to be useful enough. Now, Nempard's a really solid player. Got some good vision, some you know, shooting dropped way off as well. So I'd be a little bit cautious about him. DeRozan went from 31st down to 64th post-trade deadline. Why did he drop off? Well, there's nothing really major there. The you know, average 22, 4, and 5, it's mainly the scoring. Like He has to carry 26, 27 points a game to get that number back up. I don't think he's going to be a third-round guy to me. And the last guy to look at here is Darius Garland, who I'm massively high on. Garland's still really, really young. What is he, 23 at the moment? Um, He's still really young, but he was 30th pre-trade deadline, 62nd post. Why did he fall that far? Well, the steals fell way off. He also hit only two threes a game, two and a half rebounds, and one steal per game. Still got seven assists. I think that if you talk, I we did a dynasty startup, and I'm doing a dynasty startup mock on this channel in two days' time. Doing a slow one at the moment. I picked him really high as a top 20 player in a dynasty startup draft because I have those concerns about Mitchell moving on. And at about the time when Mitchell does, I think, move on, Garland will be like 25 and ready to become a 25, 4, and 9 player. Really pushed to be a consistent top 12 fantasy guy in two to three years' time is my belief. I think he's going to be better than the 62nd this season, but probably more of a fourth round player for fantasy is my guess. And that will do it for me today. Tomorrow, we're going to look at contract year players. Does a contract year player, does drafting somebody because they're in the final year of their contract, is it a viable strategy for fantasy? The answer in the past has been no, but we will see. And I cannot wait for people to yell at me and debate me. I will go through all of the numbers. I haven't done it yet. I will go through all the numbers and maybe I will be proved wrong that it is actually important from last season. Every other year I've done it for the last six years, it hasn't been. It's meant nothing. And we'll see how it comes out tomorrow. I haven't done it. I'm not going to preempt it. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.